Hi, welcome to the Founders for Good Bite Size Edition, where every week we'll be sharing a short clip of a founder chatting about a particular problem that exists in the world and how we go about solving that problem. This week, we have Sanchar Sahin, co-founder of Aliva. After suffering burnout and finding it hard to find the right therapist, Sanchar set up Aliva. Aliva works with employers to give people proper mental health support, including access to world-class therapists. In this episode, Sancho explains the challenges in getting access to mental health support, why patients and therapists are being failed in the current system, and how Aliva are fixing the problem. I'll start by asking Sancho for his view on the current state of mental health. So the caveat is I'm by no means... I think like everybody, we're witnessing things happen so quickly, right? So things are changing very quickly. But yeah, my my view on this is pre-pandemic, there was a very big problem when it came to mental health um, and a growing epidemic, let's say, you know, mental health. And basically, you could correlate that with the increasing busyness of the world, our lives, um, you know, the increasing choice that we have in lives, which sounds like something very privileged, which it is when you look at the macro. But when you zoom in, it causes a lot of stress. It causes a lot of anxiety. You know, it's a lot of complexity. Um, so that was happening pre-pandemic. Mental health was almost like a silent um, pandemic in, its, in itself. When the pandemic hit, it was the first time in, in our generations, I would say, where everybody had this immediate shared problem, you know, in a very concentrated moment of time. Um, and what that meant was, for the first time in a long time, huge groups of people uh, felt comfortable or at least were forced into raising their hand and saying, I- I'm not doing okay, to be to be frank. Like, I- I'm locked at home. Um, you know, I haven't seen my friends or my family. I'm worried about people. I have no idea what the state of the world is going to be. And people would start raising their hands and saying, I- I'm not doing so well. The impact of that, the positive impact of that, is that it dramatically decreased stigma around the topic about talking about mental health because this is how stigma is reduced reduced it's 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 a movement you know um or something very gradual over time but this is a case of it being something quite quick doesn't mean stigma's completely being removed and it varies culture by culture but what we saw is this great kind of decrease in in stigma around the topic with that you see more people looking for solutions to help and support the people around them with mental health and that could be an individual saying to a family member, hey, like, why don't you try therapy? Or, you know, why don't you talk to someone? It could be as simple as that, you know, just opening a conversation because now there's this space to do that. Or it could be, you know, more in, in, in my space, businesses um, saying, actually, we think it is part of our responsibility to offer support to our employees because we know that uh, life is, is pretty crazy, you know, so, so all of us will need some support at some point. So that's kind of the good that's that's come out of that. But again, the journey continues, right? You know, we thought we had problems with the pandemic. Uh, Now we've got the threat of nuclear annihilation and, you know, um, God knows what else. Um, It's it's difficult not to be obsessed with our news feeds and just see this endless scroll of, uh, of doomsday news. On top of that, we're dealing with everything in our personal lives, as as always. Um, life's not easy necessarily right now. Um, so I think this problem is far from being uh, solved. Um, 
and we need to find ways to kind of accept and navigate our new normal and uh and accept that it's okay to be not okay from time to time definitely and uh my next question was going to be linked to that like when you're well even if you're not actually if you feel fine if, or if you don't feel great um, if we take the kind of like employers providing a solution off the table for the moment and just look at, um, you know, if, if I wanted to get some mental health support today and what my, my options are as an individual, which I assume mm. is kind of like public through the NHS or privately, um, what, yeah, what do those routes look like? And, and what are some of the challenges with those? Maybe it's like uh, delays and how long it takes to get through to someone or like costs involved. Mm. Yeah, exactly this. So, so I would say, so. Speaking more specifically about Europe, uh, in the US, it's you know it's highly insurance led, um, but it comes with a lot of its own challenges. But speaking uh, more specifically about Europe, you essentially have three options. I would say so. One is or four. One is to take the public route and use your public healthcare to to access therapy. This is very well known to be pretty awful. Because not enough investment is going into that. There's a there's an initiative in the UK to to get mental health care at parity with physical health care, but it's widely condemned as you know being very unsuccessful so so far. But at least the intention is there, I guess. Um, but essentially, you know, you get onto the long waiting lists in the UK. It can be up to twelve months um, to get a an assessment session with the NHS. There are horrible stories of people committing suicide before they even get their first. Um, session. Uh, and of course, if, if you're seen as lower severity, you're going to be pushed even further down the list, et cetera, et cetera. Add on top of that, all of like the horrible admin and bureaucracy and yeah. referrals that you need to get, all of that kind of stuff is just a horrible, horrible experience. So that's one, the public route. Two is um, the private route. So you reach out, you know, you Google therapist in London, therapist in Barcelona, whatever it might be. I've, I've been there and done that myself. And what you get is like a basically a Google feed of different therapists. You go in, they've got like a horrible WordPress website because these are not people who build businesses and websites and brands. You go in and, you know, it might have a little picture and a little bio about them. And then you have to email them or phone them up and you don't get a reply for a while. Or maybe you do, but, you know, you're not really sure what you're getting into because you're basically going by a profile picture. And of course, you have no idea like what the best option is for you. Why would you? I, I wouldn't know what heart surgeon to choose for yes. myself. And I don't know what therapist to really choose for myself. Um, and then what we see there is that when people take that route, generally 70% of the time, people get the initial match wrong. And that's very unsurprising. You know, they just don't feel that chemistry with the first person they find. And what that leads to is most people just drop out at that stage because you've already spent a few hundred pounds or euros getting to that point, you've emotionally offloaded things. And then at the end of it, it's like, well, actually, this isn't working out. I'm not, not really feeling this relationship. So of course, you just think, well, therapy isn't right for me. So that's option number two. Option number three is um, maybe you're lucky enough to have private medical insurance with your company or you pay for it yourself. And often they have like add-on sessions and things like this. And I would say it's a, it's a small enhancement from what you get publicly and privately. Uh, it's a little bit easier to kind of navigate, but still generally you have to get referrals and there are limits to sessions and, you know, there's no kind of like transparency or, or model behind it. So it's still not ideal. And then the fourth option is you just think, well, 
<laughs> I can't be bothered. <laughs> I'm not going to do anything. And you just continue. You just continue as you are, which of course is not a great outcome. Yeah. And I think if you look at all those options, they're all, yeah, like you said, they all come in different challenges. And especially the first two, I see those as quite reactive. Like there's a problem big enough that you're either going to go and wait on the wait list with the NHS or you're going to go spend quite a lot of money and potentially churn through a few different therapists to find the right one, which you have to be in a certain situation to be able to even afford that route. So it's quite, quite challenging. Um, and I, I, obviously in these conversations, everyone focuses rightfully so on the patient, but there's also the therapist as well. And you start to touch on that. And there's, I understand there's challenges on that side of the fence as well. Like it's not all dream for them where they've got lines of patients waiting for them and everything's sorted. Like you said, are they all kind of typically like small business owners trying to set up their own thing? Like you said, market themselves have no idea how to do that. So it's actually quite clunky on their side as well. Yeah, exactly. We've talked to so many therapists because, you know, part of what we do is solve problems for the therapist as well. And there's a couple of main problems they they face. So one is they hate the admin. You know, they're, they're not marketers. They're not business people. They just want to provide people with quality care and not think about setting up websites and all of this kind of stuff, doing invoicing. So that's one. And two, they can feel very alone because it's a very lonely job. You're talking to people all day, but you're the professional in that case. And, you know, they need someone someone to go and talk to. They need a community. They need colleagues. And often in the therapy world, that doesn't exist so much. Um, so there is such a thing as therapist burnout, uh, which is very unsurprising. You know, if you're just listening to people's problems all day and you don't have a way to vent yourself, you don't have a community around you, that's going to take its toll. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. Um, yeah, and I just thought I'd, I would want to make sure we did explore that angle as well, because I think quite often gets I've overlooked naturally with the the more kind of like the patient focus. Um, final question before we talk about Oliva is, um, you know, but based on what you said, I, I think it seems like, you know, I'd love to see the government doing more, but ultimately that's going to take a lot of time and they have a huge amount of pressure. So that's not going to change in the short to medium term. And then, you know, I think individuals will also be struggling with cost of living, uh, inflation going up, all of those pressures on people. So I'm not to put words in your mouth, but do you see the the employer as the real opportunity to help um, improve people's mental health? Like that's the main route that will actually be most likely to have the biggest difference to to people. I do. I do. Um, so I think it's something like 48% of the UK population is in employment, something along those lines. And then the other 52% is the unemployed, the retired, uh, et cetera, et cetera, right? And children, <laughs> uh, importantly. Um, so when you think of it like that, if you imagine that providing mental health support was just table stakes for any business, that's a huge section of the population that's taken care of with, with hopefully high quality solutions funded by the employer. And I could talk a lot about why the employer should fund it, you know, why it's a benefit to them, both from a business point of view and a culture, cultural point of view. But basically, if you, if you imagine that to be the case, that would free up a lot of resources for public healthcare and maybe the privates to come in and, um, uh, the private private solutions to come in and um, you know support it as well, but to to help the other part of society as well. You know, quite frankly, if if I'm employing somebody, giving them a good salary, and you know making a for profit business, etc., uh, and t- taking you know 
a big chunk of their life to help us build this business. I don't think I should leave it to the NHS to support them with their mental health care, especially if if their stress comes from work. But that's just one small thing. But like, especially, you know, it's it's kind of like, yeah, bad analogy. But you know, if you're if you're a local pub and you have a you have an event uh, and you have people outside your pub, the council won't come and clean up the the rubbish. You know, you'll have to clean it up as a business because you've kind of put that onto the onto the pavements. So. So employers have a responsibility, and I think if we took that responsibility seriously, then that would leave a lot of space for um, organisations like the NHS, which you and I probably know are, are pretty fantastic and privileged organisations to have, um, to to take care of those who aren't in employment, um, and hopefully have more money to increase the quality and actually really get to that parity of of physical healthcare and mental healthcare being looked after equally. It's pretty idealistic, I, I think, but. Uh, but it is something I believe. Yeah, no, it is, it is definitely something that I'm seeing, like from a recruiter's perspective, like I see it as one, generally companies seem to be caring and understanding the importance of, of supporting their employees in that way. Um, and secondly, you know, uh, also seeing it as a differentiator, like com- people do care about having that kind of support and actually ha- offering that as an employer as a differentiator, but you're, you're potentially choosing like which company to go and work for next. Um, cool. So um on the, thank you for setting that kind of context and scene. Um, so it'd be great, actually, if you could just explain what Oliver Health does and, yeah, uh, how you go about helping people with their mental mental well-being. Amazing. So this is the plug part, right? Go for it, yeah. <laughs> this, this <laughs> Nice. Uh, okay. So Oliver is, the way we describe ourselves is proper mental health support and emotional growth for employees. So to break that down a little bit. Proper mental health support because um, we offer the full spectrum of support for pretty much any need that somebody might have, all the way from, let's call it day-to-day stressors or the kind of coughs and colds of mental health, which is what our chief clinical officer calls it, all the way to the things that might make it a struggle to get out of bed in, in the morning. So so we can we can offer help with all of that. And we do that through having an incredible and varied pool of um, practitioners with different experience, uh, different modalities, um, different backgrounds, uh, et cetera, different ages, all of that kind of stuff. We have our own proprietary care model, which is based only on evidence-based practices. And we have an in-house care team that's accountable for the whole process. We're not a marketplace. We don't just connect you. We're not just a bit of technology that connects you with with a, uh, a practitioner. Um, and then on top of that, there are a lot of other things that we that we double down on to make sure that we're truly proper mental health support. Because quite frankly, there are a lot of pseudoscientific solutions out there, you know, and marketplace models and things like this, which I personally don't think are really fit for purpose. Um, so that's the proper mental health support, and that's for the um, whatever issue you might have, any challenge you might have, be it something that comes from the past, trauma, whatever it might be, or be it something that happens to you. Now or in the future, unless you know, when when my sister died, I obviously I needed to talk to somebody, right? And I never expected it. So we know that things can happen at any moment. And then the emotional growth side is more proactive. So think of it like going to a gym and signing up for a spin class one day, a yoga class the next day for your physical health. Um, we offer tools and um, and formats to help people be proactive about their mental health, so workshops, classes, talks, things like that. 
um, to really help build resilience and build that emotional growth so that the next time you're in a difficult situation, which let's face it, will happen, that's just life, we just manage it a little bit better. And that might be 1% better, it might be 10% better, it might be 90% better, depending on your on your baseline. But if we can just help people navigate life, the ups and downs a little bit better and be more fulfilled, then that's a big thing for us. And then finally, the final part of my description was for employees. And it's because of what we touched on earlier. We we sell our solution to companies that offer it as a uh, a benefit to their um, to their employees, much like they would physical health insurance and, you know, pension schemes and all of this kind of stuff. But of course, you know, we work with great companies like Confido Talent um, that truly believe that supporting their their employees' mental health care is just one core pillar to, to making sure people are fulfilled and, and productive as well. <laughs>